program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views expressed are those of the panelists and not necessarily those of Sengents, Glamour Connection, Van Garrett Media, their respective management, contractors, or employees. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Welcome to the Share Your Hotness Podcast. Share your hotness. Now, here's your host, Lita Green. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my guest today, Jordan Palmer. Now, Jordan and I go way back, way back. So, I think we met in like 2010. Does that sound right? 2010? No, wait. Um, I, you, you and I met in BNI. Right, but was it the first time I was in BNI or the second time I was in BNI? It was the second time. Okay, well, maybe it just feels paper. like we go way back then. <laughs> Go. Yeah, 2010. Yeah. I was I was graduating high school. In oh, oh, <laughs> that makes me feel very, very mature. You know, I can't even. I'm so old. I can't even keep my years straight. <laughs> <laughs> no, no worries. You know, you it's, uh, like I like we were talking about before. Yeah, time flies when you're having fun. You know. Well, before we came on, we were talking about how you were like. Is your daughter driving? And yeah, she's driving. She's a senior. So rude. You know, I have enjoyed all the phases of being a parent except for one. You know what that is? What's that? The moving out phase. I don't I don't like this yeah. moving out phase. Yeah. How old are your kids now? Yeah, does it worry you a little bit? <laughs> My uh, my twins, Michael and Ariana, they they turned seven just three days ago. Their birthday was on Sunday, uh, and then we have a three-year-old girl who uh, ha- her birthday is the day before mine in June. Excellent! Uh, that one yeah, that one's an, an addition. Yep, that's right. Just a handful of, of babies that are keeping us uh, keeping us busy and getting us to a point where we may be outgrowing our house and needing to find a new place in the next little bit. Well, if only you knew a realtor. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and one thing about, you know, being in networking groups is we've been, we know like 10 amazing realtors, you know? So it's like, ah, oh, then who do you pick and all of that, you know? So exactly. You'll just have to buy 10 houses. 100%. There we go. <laughs> yep that that would be ideal right there. Just yeah. uh, buy them all. <laughs> Just buy all the houses, you know. Um, well, it's not fair. Some people have houses. No, I'm just teasing, you know. No. <laughs> so um, we, um, Jordan, you are a financial planner, and that was one of the ways that we additionally connected. Is you did some insurance searching for us, and unfortunately, because of my husband's heart attack, we were um, you know, in a, in a weird spot, but you sure did a solid search for us and worked really hard to see if there were any options, but you know, it was, you know, just one of those crazy 
crazy yeah. spots, but them, them, them insurance companies, they're fantastic, but sometimes they care a little bit more about your history as opposed to how much you actually take care of yourself. <laughs> and your husband's probably one of the most fit, fit men of his age that I've ever met in my life. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was a little bit disappointed that we weren't able to find the right option, but we certainly it's, can't it's say a, that we didn't try. It's a burden for me having a really fit, attractive husband. It's really difficult. I really suffer. Well, he's yeah. married to hotness, so, <laughs> you know, it's not like he's suffering. Well, yeah, but I'm not, nobody has ever described Lita as the most fit woman that they have ever met. So, well, maybe when I was 20. Yeah, no, yeah, when I was, when I was young, I was pretty, I was pretty ripped, you know, but so much so that right. um, it's kind of a funny story that my maiden name sounds like, hey, man, like Jamaica, man, right? So when I was serving my mission for my church in sign language, I introduced to my um, my new companion because we're staying with a companion 24 seven and she's hard of hearing. And so she liked to be able to know how to say things, even though she was pretty close to deaf. Right. But she could verbalize. And so I told her that my name, M-A-U-G-H-A-N, sounds like man. And in the deaf culture, whenever you are given a. Um, you were given a sign name. So like an abbreviation, you have to accept it if it's given to you from the deaf person. And she's like, perfect. We'll call you because we went by sister as our first name, sister man. And I was like, I really, I have big shoulders. I really don't want that. I really don't want that name, you know? And she's like, what? And I was like, I don't want that name. I, I don't want to be called a man. I, I don't want to be called a man, you know? And anyway, the first door we go to, we're knocking on doors to tell them we have a message for about Jesus Christ. We knock on the door and she's like, hello, my name is Sister Olmstead. And she gives her name sign. This is Sister M-M-A-U-J-J-N, signs name man. And he goes, really? Surgery went really well. Can hardly tell. And, you know, in ASL American <laughs> language. So that's what I was explaining to her that I didn't want to be called man because, you know, I'm not one. And you know, I have a little bit of a, you know, a man chin and I have the shoulders and I was really ripped at the time. And, you know, people would be like, man, you know, they'd always refer to my manliness and I just didn't like it because I'm not a man. So anyway, yeah, he changed my, my side name. I was no longer called sister man. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, I probably would have also gone by your first name instead of your last name. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's, it's not going to work, you know, but um, yeah, deaf people would always say my first name was strange. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and I hear, uh, I, I, did you learn how to sign before you served your mission? Um, no, a little bit. So I took a class at college because I am a teeny okay. bit hard of hearing and I was told I would go deaf. Um, I'm not. And my hearing is only like a 13% loss. So that's just why I'm a little loud. But anyway, um, I was so bad at it that my teacher told me I was desecrating her language using the same sign that you would use to have like an abortion of destruction. So sure. yeah, I was really bad at it. So yeah, it was, uh, it was humbling to be called and to give up something I thought I was so good at talking. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Right. It's uh <laughs> it's, it's funny because um, the deaf community and, 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 and those who sign, 
it's almost like it's its own different culture and, and world. It's, it's like they're their own nation. It is. And in fact, there's a couple of episodes we've done around deaf culture. So you'll have to go listen to those, you know. Yeah, yeah, I'll absolutely. definitely have to take a listen. Yeah, I'll have to, um, I'll, you know, have to make it where people can actually find them, you know, instead of just the names. But um, I can only remember the first names at the moment, which is not totally helpful. But anyway, we want to talk about you because we somehow we went off into um, my my muscular um, issues of being too muscular. <laughs> <laughs> just try to keep okay, a little addition yeah. of fat so people know I'm a woman. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> Um, so let's go into more about you. And you said you had a story about love for us. Oh, yeah, certainly. You know, actually, uh, I'd like to piggyback off of, you know, you talking a little bit about your mission, because Please. Um, yeah. we're part of the, the same church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, other vernacular people have known us as, as Mormons as well. Oh, that's a nice way of um, saying it. Nickname, I, vernacular. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, uh, and and I, I had the opportunity to serve my mission in a completely different culture. I was in Mexico. Um, I served in, in Mexico City, the state of oh, Mexico, wow. and the state of Hidalgo, um, and just completely different culture. And uh, I remember when I got there, there was a little bit of a shock, but it was almost as though I was so, it, everything was so different that it was like I wasn't living my own life. Um, oh, for a little while yeah um and and that i have a really good understanding you know there's a lot of conversation today about um the difficulties of being maybe minority in america um and what that's like and i feel like i really got to be able to kind of get an understanding of what it's like to be a minority and and in a place where you just don't feel like you, you fit right yeah um yeah. and so uh it was it was the first the first week that I was there um, and I was walking, walking down the street and, and in our mission, we, we serve with companions. Like you were talking about, you're with somebody all the time, partially for protection and, and for other reasons as well. And, and, and those are religious region reasons. But um, when I was walking down the street, I had a, a little kid and, you know, you'd get a little bit of both where, where some, some people there in Mexico absolutely loved us and, and really love seeing a big, tall, white American guy. Just to give a little bit of background. That was myself. your companion, um, Mexican, or <laughs> he was Mexican. Uh huh. Yes, yes, and he was he was a dark Mexican. It was pretty obvious he he was comfortable, and that was his environment. Right? And, and you know, you um, are very blonde. You know, you almost yeah, make me so look Hispanic. I'm, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fairly large guy. I'd just gotten finished playing a season of college football. Um, I'm six foot two, uh, at the time I was about 240 pounds, 235 pounds as a linebacker. Um, and so, you know, walking down the street and I stand out like a sore thumb in Mexico, yeah. you know, maybe the average male height is about five foot six, maybe five foot seven in, in, in that area. And, and little kids would, would scream, you know, and this little group of kids are maybe about five or six of them to scream, bueno, which means blondie, but sometimes <laughs> they'll yell it in a way where it's, you know, and then they started yelling gringo and, and, and he had a, he had a stick and it had, it had feces on it maybe dog feces or something like that. And, and he chucked it at me and hit me in the back of the head. Oh. Um, and I just remember 
immediate, that was, that was the first time where I just felt like somebody hated me who didn't know me in my life. Right. Wow. wow. Um, yeah. And, and later, um, later on, so maybe about a week after that, um, and we would talk to people in the streets and, and ask if they'd like us to return to their home with them and share a message about uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and uh, we, we contact this couple in, in the road and they're like, well, we actually live right around the corner. And uh, we, we go to their home and, and, and we start teaching and um, maybe about five minutes into, into our conversation with this couple, uh-huh. this young, young man probably he was about he was 10 years old comes oh. in the door and it was that same young boy <laughs> um and and it, everything switched um that that very same night i just remember feeling an understanding of you know where he's coming from and sometimes it's just naivete where we just don't know what somebody's right. life is right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, just had this, uh, this understanding of, Hey, you know, this is just another, you know, child of God. Uh, Amen. he's just, you know, we all make mistakes or we maybe say things that later on we regret, but I had the opportunity to baptize him, um, you know, where, he, you know, he, he, uh, he ended up, you know, wanting to become a little bit more like Christ and, which, and, which uh, is so great because in our faith, that is the unifying belief is that we are all equal to God, equally loved of God. And so there are no groups. There is no division or should be. If you are fully mm-hmm. trying to follow Christ, you know that the person in the ghetto of India or the kid flinging poo at you. And I love that you had that personal witness of, no, this is a child of God who just flung poo on you. Instead of like, hey, you big mm-hmm. pooper snot, you know, um, <laughs> and and then literally got to see the completion of him accepting that same promise to always try to rise above the instinct and to try to be like Christ. I love this story. Yeah. And just to be better, you know, and he started, you know, before I, I had to switch to a different location, teach somewhere else. He'd called me on my son, which is kind of a plan word, like 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 my soul brother uh, oh. before, you know. And, and we became really close, and and he gained a, a totally different perspective on um, what it's like to, well, maybe never understood what it's like to be a white guy in Mexico, right? But um, well, he certainly understood that I'm not a bad person just because yeah. I look different. From and him, he know? knew you were the one he'd flung poo at. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was the only guy. I was probably the only guy in about a three or four mile radius that, that was that had the same color of skin as myself. And certainly the only one that was as tall as I am. So uh, <laughs> let alone being a guy wearing, you know, a short sleeve white button right. shirt with yeah, a tie yeah. and I a mean, name tag. Right. <laughs> when I served, um, I served in the deaf program, as we've discussed, and I served in Michigan and Arizona. We got transferred at the time anywhere in the United States, but we'd serve longer, like a typical transfer where you said you had to go teach somewhere else. It was going to be six weeks. Anyway, um, the, the boy missionaries, because of the white shirts and ties, would often get things flung at them from cars. You know, people would just drive by and throw a bottle or trash at them. It was a pretty common appearance, but because we women were just dressed in, you know, a dress or a skirt, you know, we just look like two women walking 
you know, along, but, um, you know, there was an elder that had to go to the emergency room, having a, a beer bottle flung at him from behind. And he, uh, suffered some, some long-term damage, um, to his, his ability to do different things because of some random stranger just throwing a bottle at him because he was a, a missionary, you know, a, a 19 year old boy out there teaching people at Jesus Christ, agree or not agree. It's, it's never okay mm-hmm. to, to fling poo or bottles or trash at people. And it's, it's interesting how the more divisive we get, the further away, we're not only getting from that fundamental truth of that we're all children of God. Mm-hmm. Sorry. It just, uh, you know, where, where's it going to go? You know, where, where's all this division going to go? It's like, you know, can't we just have a little bit more love, you know? Yeah. And it, it's a, it, it's such a tribalistic mentality that kind of goes down to the roots of what, um, what like the, the weakness of the flesh or what mankind falls back to is, you know, tribalism and, and quick identifiers. And so I really learned on my mission how important it is that although we may have our, our prejudices or, or see somebody that may look a little different and we might put up guards, it's really important to not act on our initial fear that, that tries to enter our minds of, okay, this is different or something new or somebody different from me. Um, it's really important that we, we, we base our, our judgments or, or the way that we treat people off of, you know, who they actually are. Um, so you, you can never judge somebody just based off of what you see for face, face value, because I may be a lot more similar to, you know, uh, a gangster in Atlanta, you know, on his views and opinions of life and how he feels about his family. Um, then I might be somebody of our own religion who lives here in Utah and, and was raised in a similar family as me, you know? <laughs> so right. we all have, you know, different, different thought processes and we got to think a lot more beneath the skin than mm-hmm. I think what our culture and society is trying to train us to do. Um, yeah, well, it, and I think that's why I wanted to really talk about a love story, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we were, this is a great segue into a love story. I, um, I love the, the Bible verse that by the grace of God, go I, and I say that a lot to myself. If I catch me, um, I, you know, was out walking today and I saw a man that was homeless and, um, I, I'm so weird. I, when I was at the garage dropping off my car, they have some candy there and I'm not eating sugar right now. Um, (laughs) but anyway, I'm not doing that right now, but I still wanted my fair share of the treats. So, you know, I always put the treats in my purse and my kids for their whole entire lives know that mom's always going to get any treat offered her and I will put it in my purse. So I, um, I saw the gentleman and he was looking at me like, I better not like, you know, he was kind of putting his head down and acting like I was going to be mean to it because we were going to be crossing on the sidewalk. And I said, Oh, sir, I think I have a candy bar in here. Do you like, do you like candy? And he was like, you know, just almost shocked and w- wasn't sure how to process if I was asking him to be like candy, because the truth is everybody likes candy, you know, and gave it to him. And he just kind of like almost bowed to me as, you know, and I, so I mm. bowed back to him. Cause I'm like, no, we're, but you know, whatever it is that he's battling that put him in that, if it's addiction, if it's mental illness, if it's economic reversal, if it's, you know, abuse, whatever it is, he deserves my candy bar. 
he deserves to be, have me bow to the same level. He deserves that same respect. And I always say to myself, if I'm ever kind of finding myself in judgment of if by the grace of God, go I, if my circumstances had been his, would I have done any better? Mm -hmm. You know, my family, my family, this has been a Christmas tradition of ours. We go to Hill Center Theater here in Utah every Christmas, you know, every Christmas. And we go to see a Christmas carol. Um, I absolutely love it. Um, And I just, I'm always reminded about um, the ghost of Christmas present, right? Um, and he says, you know, your business, mankind is your business, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm an introvert. Naturally, I'm actually an introvert. Uh, it, it may really? not come across that way. I really, yeah. yeah, if I were given the choice of going to a party or staying at home, I'd rather stay at home. I'd just rather keep to myself, do my own thing. But when I'm out and about, I, I really try to, you know, make an effort. And this is something my my amazing wife has taught me, um, because she, she she does struggle a little bit more with being social, but I'm able to do it. And and so she kind of told me, look, you know, we should always try to make somebody who we come across feel better about themselves for having crossed our path that day. Right. Yeah, so if I'm yeah. on an elevator with somebody, I'll always try to talk to that person or make a joke, give them something to uh-huh. laugh about. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's just kind of the way I like to live my life because I feel, I feel if we can make anybody's, you know, five minutes with us better than what their day was like up until that moment, then I've done, I've done good in the world. Well, and, you never know. You know I, I mean, that's kind of what started this whole share your hotness thing was an encounter I had with a woman at Hobby Lobby. And um, she's like, do you remember me? And I said, no, I I don't. I don't remember you. I'm sorry. You know, I meet a lot of people in my work. She's like, oh, I don't know anything about your work. Um, And she said, no, we, we met here and I was here to buy stationery for my final note. And, you know, we're hugging and I'm like, I'm a nice lady and I am an extrovert and I do know that it's a gift. And I love that your, it may not be your natural inclination, but I'm pushing myself too to be that extra kind person. Instead of, you know, we go out into the world so often when we're taught this me, me, me thing and go out into the world and, you know, I want validation from outside. Right. But we need to we need to be the change we want to see in the world. You know, I mean, you know, those, these kinds of cliches, but you know, if we want to see people be kinder then be the kinder person. And so I try to be extra nice when I'm out, like I would treat my own family, not to the same level of mm-hmm. trust and service, you know, but just to be kind when my kid comes to the door, I'm not like, Hey, what are you doing here? Right. You know, I'm loving on this stranger. Hey, you know, Oh, you having a good day. You know, I just compliment women on their purses or their shirt. Cause you know, if they've got a great purse. It should be complimented, you know? Wow. You wear heels all day. That's impressive. You must have, you know, calves of steel, you know? I mean, like I'm just being nice, you know, noticing little things and being nice. And that literally saved a person's life. Yeah. I mean, isn't that, isn't that something that we learn when we learning how to pray? Right. And there, there are a lot of different ways that people pray in the world. Right. But one of the things that that's pretty common, especially in Christianity, is learning how to be grateful, giving giving you know grace and, and saying thanks um, yeah, to the Lord, yeah. right? Yes. And 
and like even even God, you know, He wants a little bit of validation. He wants us to recognize things that are beautiful. Well, is it validation or is so it recognition? Recognition, yeah, I'd say recognition. I don't think He needs to be validated. I don't. I think he he's like, I am God. I am the Almighty. <laughs> I mean, he he's a he's he's okay with his self esteem. You know, he feels he he has no reason to feel bad about himself. You know, but um, so uh. You know, I think it's good that we are, um, you know, just words are important, right? Recognition. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for correcting me there. Um, that's true. I wasn't I, correcting you. I was maybe, just clarifying. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, and, and maybe I know that you've experienced and you've seen what, what real poverty is. And, and I think that's also brought a lot of perspective into my life, something that and, and I'll go back to this, like the greatest decision I made in my life was serving a mission uh, for the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints for, for multiple reasons. And it's blessed me in ways that, that weren't exactly directly related to, you know, preaching the gospel. But, right. you know, just seeing what real poverty is and, and what real struggle is makes me so much more grateful for all the things that I do have. Um, and obviously, you know, it led me to meet my wife, um, you know, and there's no way that that anybody could um, <clears throat> could love somebody more and how much I love my wife and I love this uh, and you know well at least that's what I thought and then when our when our first babies were born you know, um, I was like you know I would I would use my wife as a human shield to save my babies if I needed to you know? oh. <laughs> Uh, who who was but, that, but that that was a celebrity that i recently heard as you know some you know it's like i love my wife yeah oh ryan reynolds yes okay i got it you're quoting ryan reynolds i'm like oh i love a good romance story <laughs> but it, it was such a it was such a fantastic way to describe the feelings and emotions that somebody has when their babies are born because um there's just, you just feel like there's nothing in the world that you wouldn't do for them. Uh -huh. um, and I was just joking, by the way, my wife with, along with God is number one in my life. Right. And, you know, well, we, that's a funny joke. conversation. Like, look, <laughs> we always go, but you know, a good parent, a good spouse would be like, be, be want to be the shield for the children. You know, I mean, protecting exactly. our kids is what we are engineered to do as, as a species. I mean, uh, very rare for even animals to not want to protect their young. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's true. And I, I kind of waver on the, I'm kind of on the fence, like, because uh, men and women are different. <laughs> and we live in a world where I think society is trying to confuse that. Men and women are very different. What we find as attractive is totally different. Um, what we find is, as a priority, usually naturally is very different. And while, I, I firmly believe that it's a man's role to try to protect and provide um, for his family. Not saying that, you know, it's not okay for women to have jobs. I'm perfectly, but my wife works once a week. What I, are you I, saying? I, I can't work. Women in business, <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, what I'm saying is that's kind of a natural desire that we have because it helps us feel important. I, I really think that, I mean, I, I've noticed this for myself. It helps me feel like I'm important and I have a lot of value and it's the best way I feel like I can contribute to raising my kids and the next generation. I feel like by, by working and being a protector for them. 
right? Well, it's um, interesting how um, I, I uh, it's funny you'd say this because I'm just, I, in my LinkedIn profile, I have not altered my LinkedIn profile since I opened my account in um, 2014 or 15 or who knows when. I have not changed it. Mm-hmm. And I have some line about um, that I believe in the empowerment of women, but not at the cost of men. You know, <laughs> something to that effect. Um, you know, but basically, I just kind of am like, I think women are awesome, and I think we need to empower women. But that is not in competition with men or taking away from. You know, we're 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 different, and it's been really sure. interesting how initially people would message me and be like, that's an awesome message. I love that, you know? And now I'll get messages sometimes of people being like, what does that mean? What do you say? And it's like, it's interesting how just in, um, you know, a handful of years that me saying we don't need to compete with men has become somehow I'm not a proud woman. And that I'm suppressed because I believe in communicating with my spouse. And um, the, the highest suicide rate, the demographic with the highest suicide rate is, is men my son's age. Because, and I've seen my son encounter this kind of thing. And I've seen other young men where they are told they have privilege where they are told that they are not um, everything about them, the drive to be independent and do their own thing and figure out their force in life is misogyny. And, uh, you know, you tell somebody that everything that is intrinsic about who they are and what has been, um, if it's genetics or engineering from the millions of years we humans have been becoming what we are, that suddenly they Mm -hmm. have to change that. It is not a wonder that we are losing our young men. And as a mother- It's it's horrific. As a mother, it just, it's ripping my heart to have my son feel like he doesn't have a voice because he happens to be white and male, you know? (laughs) Those Those are not things he has control over. It's a, it's a, it's definitely, it's a travesty and it's certainly, it's certainly in my opinion is the work of the devil to try to um, destroy masculinity. Masculinity is not toxic. Well, masculinity and is, is a beautiful thing. Yeah. I mean, destroying, yeah. destroying who we are as people. Of course there are variations. You know, we were making jokes about my big shoulders, Right. You know, um, there's variations and, and, and it's, it's a good thing that the first time Mr. Green was kissing me and he was like, wow, you're kind of a big girl. And I was like, ah. <laughs> girls, including myself, don't like being called a big girl. And then he started explaining that this was a first for him and he liked it. And because we do not believe in having sex until we were married, we had to stop doing what we were doing because he was so eloquent in his expression of how he liked what he was experiencing. (laughs) And I, 
thought that was a good answer. And so we had to stop said activities, <laughs> you know, but, you know, yeah. it's these differences are part of what teaches us how to have the dynamics that we have. And though there are individuals that are not in these, you know, female, masculine, that's totally fine. I'm totally okay with that. But shaming someone else, putting down someone else, if I were to give a talk to youth on bullying, which I have done many, 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 many times, the the thing that I say is the big indicator of someone who is insecure is someone who has the need to put others down. So the way you stop bullying is not to tell the bully to stop bullying. It's to tell the bully inside of you. Build them up. To stop being mean to you. And if you are feeding you with lots of good messages of your value, you don't see the need to put others down to compensate for your insecurity. And I have, you know, kindergartners who are like, mind blown, right? And yet as a society, we have become a bullying society. If you don't agree with me, you hate me. And, you know, we, you know, you and I are like, hey, just love each other more. (laughs) The the easiest example I can think of is, um, you know, these school shootings, right? When a school Mm. shooting happens, it immediately turns into a conversation of, look, if you don't agree with me, it's because you don't care about the kids. I I had somebody say that to me who isn't a parent. And and I'm like, look, I have kids. I have kids that go to elementary school. You don't even have kids. You can't say that I don't care about children. And we just have such a dismissive culture. It's, you know, it's like, if you don't agree with me, I'm going to insult you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the conversations, like I have friends, many friends that don't have the same religious beliefs I do. And that works you know, it's okay because we have respect for each other. Um, you know, I have friends who don't believe that my favorite color of red is the best color and you know, they're wrong because I'm a makeup artist and I know color, but I'm just making a joke. Right. I mean, it's just as weird as trying to enforce what my favorite color is as to say, we have to agree on everything and going to this extreme position is I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a way to, it's a straw man argument or something like that. I think that's what they call that, but it's somehow <laughs> just accepted because it's repeated. Right. Yeah. It's, it, uh, you know, we've essentially built ways that we can have echo chambers, right? You have, you have Facebook mm-hmm. going to censor and, 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 and mute out people that you don't want to have involved. You can block people. You can, you can silence people. Um, and, and I've always said the best way for somebody to look silly or sound silly is to just let them keep talking. You know, um, it's, it's pretty easy to realize when somebody's, you know, spewing evil things, if you just let them continue. Um, and, and well, that's the, the argument for free for me speech happened. is allowing the best yeah. ideas to float to the top because the most people agree with those ideas. And a thing a dictator yeah. always does is control speech and change the language, you know? So it's like, why not just let people talk? I found that my, my political conversations have become better conversations as I focused on understanding, okay, we have common ground if we really have the same goal, right? 
So if, if we want to accomplish the same thing, so if our goal is to protect children and we want to accomplish that, mm-hmm. let's talk about, you know, policies and things that can do so with yes. the current, you know, we have to take into account facts of our current situation. You know, uh, we live in a nation where if the idea were to disarm people and to take their guns away, which people are going to give their guns up? The people that obey the law, the ones that aren't going to be shooting people, right? Mm-hmm. Which ones aren't? Probably the people that are willing to shoot people, right? Okay, so given that situation, do we really want to take guns away from people that are using them recreationally or using them for only self-defense? Well, well no. if we start changing make sense. our constitution, which is the most successful republic constitution that has existed that other countries have since copied parts of then what are we going to start what other rights are we going to take away and so if you agree with gun ownership or not we do have more guns per capita than any other country and it is how we became a country is the ownership of guns so if you start saying okay you can't have that then are we going to take away human rights? Are we going to, we're going to become a monarchy again? Like, you know, we can't be messing with the constitution. We can add to it. I'm fine with that, but I, I will, I will, um, you know, the ancestors of me that have fought in the revolutionary war, the civil war North, you know, um, will, you know, the hurrah, you know, I will fight for that to not take away from the constitution. Right. And you know, it, it, have you ever played risk Lita? Um, have ever I ever played, played risk? risk? I'm 49. <laughs> I remember when risk came out, we were fascinated on a board. <laughs> Your generation played it on the computer. You wimps. We had to set it up. <laughs> no way. I'm all about the board games. I, you know me, oh, I'm an old soul. I, you know, I prefer face-to-face conversations, communications. I prefer risk on a board, not on a computer. I play solitaire with the card deck, yeah, all those yeah. ways. <laughs> I'm just, well, the I reason just had I ask funny is, about you know, our age difference. <laughs> we live in a world where there's just so many fronts, right? And so mm-hmm. the, the best, best thing that we can do is focus on protecting one front, right? You can't fight a two-front war. That's why Hitler lost to World War II. So he decided to go after Russia as well, right? Um, but, you know, what we have to focus on in our lives is, is really the fronts that we can handle, right? And so for me, I noticed that my conversations about politics or, or, or religious conversations, we, I, I hate that in the workplace they tell you you shouldn't talk or you can't talk about those things. That's silly, we, we need to live in a world where we can talk about those things, but we need to be respectful. And the first thing is to control what you can, which is your ability to love and care about the other person and find where you have common ground yep. and then have the conversation from there. Right. Right. Uh, and so I found that that's, that's been the best way to, for me to address these kinds of discussions that, you know, the, the, our CNNs and Foxes, they, they try to tell us are polarizing things. Um, but they're really not. They're just they're just things that people disagree on and sometimes feel strongly about. I heard um, that um, Vladimir, Vladimir Putin is going to be giving a speech tomorrow night. The commentary mm-hmm. was talking about how, you know, we've sent all these weapons over there and Russia's kind of losing in Ukraine. What is his speech going to be tonight? Saying it's not really me, Russia. He's going to want to maintain his pride. People are pretty funny that way. You know, is it going to be... Uh, 
yeah, you're right. We're losing. We're really sorry for going into the Ukraine. We overstepped and yeah, we, we feel really bad now. Or is it going to be, I'm not really fighting the Ukraine. I'm fighting the United States. And the commentary um, was like, we're not, we could be moving from a proxy war to an actual war. And here we are as a country when people are starving to death and Europe is on the brink of the poor and the old freezing to death because we have a food shortage and an energy shortage. We're fighting over what people want to do in their bedroom. I really don't care. It's all a distraction. It's all about the only thing that's going to get me, you know, riled up is what we're doing to the children. And I'm just as against, I wouldn't go up to a five-year-old and say, hey, we could be on the brink of war with Russia. We've got to give kids a time of innocence and discovery without all of this bombardment from social media and adult issues. We got to give them a childhood. And if we can't do that, we're failing the next generation. Yeah, and, and it's our job as adults, um, first of all, to do the responsible thing um, mm-hmm. for the, the future, right? So, I mean, um, I'm not a big fan of the CARES Act, um, not, not pretty much any of it. Yeah. You know, we, uh, out of, it was designed essentially as, as a way to give cash to American citizens. I just did air quotes with my hands, even though this is just being recorded for audio, <laughs> but, it, but you, you though, said it. So they uh, know now those air quotes. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they go to give us, you know, cash as American citizens to stimulate the economy, to be able to help smaller businesses that are going out of business, but we only received as cash, um, about, five to 10% of Mm -hmm. the amount that was used, the amount of cash that the government had to artificially create for us uh, as as individuals. So where'd the rest of it go? So what we essentially did is we took out a loan that we got 10% of as cash, let's let's all go on a high end, okay? Let's say 10% of it is cash. So we received $1,000 and put $9,000 or sorry, a total of $10,000 into a loan that our kids are going to have to pay back. Right. Over the coming right. years. Right. And we're as, trying to outspend As a financial inflation. advisor. <laughs> oh, yeah. right. That's, it's the most fiscally irresponsible thing that any institution could do. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and it's completely the opposite of what regulators tell me. I have to tell my clients. So we, we, we're ignoring the big picture because the media and what we're being fed is so in our face. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the whole, your thumbs bigger than the moon perspective um, because (laughs) we've got something right in our face. That seems like it's a big deal, like um, refuting Roe v. Wade, which I'm not saying isn't important uh, or isn't, isn't something that affects people, but they have that on our face. Well, we spend, you know, forty billion dollars right. to go fund and help Ukraine out. Um, and sixty. I'm not saying that it's not worth it or anything. Um, yeah, but um, the thing is, abortion, um, the 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 however you want to define your sex life or whatever like that, those things are going to become very little importance in the national conversation if we are possibly facing off with a nuclear power. And this kind of goes back to what we were saying before of what's really important in life. Those we love are our connections. 
what makes a life rich and beautiful is who we choose to surround ourselves with and how we care and provide and protect and nurture and love those, you know, which I think all of those protection, nurturing are a form of love. You know, I'm safe with my husband, who he is physically. I'm safe with him spiritually. I'm safe with his character. I can trust him with everything that I am. And you talk about your sweet wife the same way. And I'm sure she feels the same way with you. If a bomb were coming down on our town, we would not be like, what about Rovius's weight? We would be like, where are the people I love? Yep. And if we live our lives with, let me focus on what I have control over and who I can love instead of trying to control some kind of conversation outside of us, mm-hmm. I think we'll be a little bit happier. But sadly, the only yeah. time human beings have ever been able to seem to get on the same page is in times of war. I've, uh, I've always been a big fan of, uh, of Jordan Peterson, Dr. Jordan mm-hmm. B. Peterson. Yeah, um, now you just, now you just took clinical this podcast to the next level. <laughs> and, 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 and really, it, it, it's so simple on how to fix the world. Start with your own space, right? If you can control your own space, then you can control external factors eventually, right? right? But you have to start with yourself first. And, and what's being fed to our children, and this is why, you know, young, young men and, and adolescent teenage boys are, are, are depressed mm-hmm. is because they're being told that they, they're the reason the world's screwed up. And it's their job to try to fix it as though they, um, but were they, there. but they can't do it using what's natural for them and using their hormones, their adrenaline and, and testosterone and be masculine. Right. You can't do it that way. Um, so they're being told they have to try to fix the world, that they're the ones that are responsible for breaking. Yeah. Um, and, and so they feel this huge weight of, of being responsible for having to fix things. Um, but they're not being empowered and not being told like, Hey, just control what's within your realm. Right. Like, clean your room room. clean, be oh. organized. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It was funny because I started Help hearing, your family. Um, it, it's funny because these, these, uh, polarizations, when I hear somebody be like, Oh, this person, you know, the media or whatever, I'm mm-hmm. like, well, I better go listen to what they say. And I have found on the right and the left that these people are, not just misquoted, but depicted to a level of propaganda. It's like, you know, oh, yeah. I, you know, Jordan Peterson is a great example. Um, I had no idea who he was until I started hearing about how, what a terrible, awful person he was. And so I was like, well, if there was a lady in my neighborhood whose people were saying was an awful, terrible person, I'd be like, well, let me give her, let me, let me have a chance to get to know her myself. And I would give, if I heard some terrible gossip about somebody, um, well, first of all, people don't gossip to me because <laughs> I'll go, really? Have you told them? It's a great way to shut yeah. down gossip. Do they know? Did you hear what Susan said? I'm like, I bet it's going to be fantastic. Have you told Susan? And I like to be the yeah. spreader of good gossip. Anytime I hear anything good about somebody, I'm like, hey, I want you to know what's being said about you. And I go up and tell the person the good gossip. 
but I wouldn't. Oh, you're so much better than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that being said, if somebody's hurting children and I have proof of it, um, I'm not just a mama bear of my own. (laughs) And there's, there's someone in my life right now. Um, well, I have a couple people, but, um, someone that hurt my son and, you know, I've cut them out of my life. They're done. Um, you know, like they are, they are dead to me and somebody else who I am very hurt and sad and despairing that they are hurting children. And I'm doing everything I can to try to get them to think through what they're doing. Well, no, it's, 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 it's our, our responsibility to, to protect um, people who can't protect themselves. Right. Right. Uh, And, and I do believe that that starts with, you know, you got to work in, in the out, right. When it comes to fixing your world around you, you got to start with yourself and then your family and loved ones. And you can do neighbors and extended family and then your your community, your city, state, nation, world, right? And and it's got to go in that order because until you have that influence to affect your inner circle, you're not going to have the influence, uh, you know, and the ability to help affect change in in the world around you. And how do you know what you're trying to affect to change is good? Well, I think uh, most of us have the ability to discern um, no, but I'm saying I think if a lot of people have a certain point of concern. Everything is outward instead of inward. I mean, it's like feminists that get oh, angry true, yeah. about what's happening in, you know, in, in my marriage that I'm talking to my husband mm-hmm. about finances. I have a lot of people who've gotten upset about that kind of thing. And I'm they're like, aren't you empowered? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, right. I get this all the time. But if you're truly a feminist worried about women's rights, how do you feel about the fact that they are cutting the clitoris out of women in certain countries so that they can never experience the pleasure of human intimacy? Let's, let's maybe think about that, but just getting upset about what's happening in my home or on the other side of the country, what about your relationships, how you're operating your life is what you're saying mm-hmm. is like, instead of focusing all this outward First of all, we have to be congruent from what, if it's good for America, then you should say it's good for all other world. But do we have the right to enforce that? But it comes off as hypocrisy when we say you have to change and I'm going to focus in on you instead of across the board empowerment. When we have girls being trafficked, slavery still existing. Why are we talking about reparations when we haven't even solved slavery yet? It's we got to yeah, clean our it's own like, house. You know, the, the argument um Megan Rapinoe, and, and I don't want to bash on her. She's a fantastic athlete and amazing soccer player. She yeah, the, the, yeah it soccer just took me years. a second. And yeah. Sure. Uh, you know, and, and she's on ESPN talking about how terrible it is that men make more than women soccer players. And I'm just like, look, this can be fixed very easily. When, uh, you know, feminists, are you not buying tickets to go watch the soccer games? <laughs> you know, Buy tickets if you want to support it. Start internally if you're um, if you're really in support of women isn't making it like as men for sports. Not just a slight percentage difference, but like huge percentage difference. How much women's sports make to men's sports? Yeah. So um, to go to I'll go to a world uh, a world event, right? So the World Cup, men soccer players make about two percent, two to five percent of the earnings of the World Cup. Okay. Is what they're paid, what's paid out to the athlete. Women make between 15 and 30%. Okay. 
Mm. And it's subsidized by the profits and revenue that the men's World Cup makes. Hmm. So a lot of their costs and expenses to make it happen are, are usually subsidized by the Men's World Cup to help funders. Well, in general, I find it really funny that people who have become incredibly successful in their chosen field are incredibly successful complaining about the oppression they have dealt with. Wouldn't life be happier for you inside your own head if you had a sense of gratitude and sought to inspire the younger version of you and the little kids out there that they too become very successful at their chosen endeavor. But we can't just pay people uh, money that doesn't exist. You know, I heard an argument the other day uh, and, and from an economics perspective, I'm not saying that, like I would never say that women can't work. Okay. You know, we, we've talked about this a little bit, but yeah. turning our economy into a two income household economy is actually really negative. It helps, it, it exasperates the issue of inflation, mm-hmm. right? It actually creates more con- competition between em- potential employees per employer. So really employers are able to drop the salaries that they're offering. That's why inflation is increasing at a rate that's, that's not even close to comparable with the increase in salary. Is salary average here in Utah um, average income for a household in Utah was about $40,000 a year back in 1995. Okay. And today it's about 55,000, 50 to $55,000 a year. How much more is the cost of a home in Utah compared to 1995 versus today? Um, well, I bought about- a house in 2005 yeah. and it has four times the price in yeah. 15 years. I bought back in 2016 and, uh-huh. and it's, it's more than doubled. Yeah, I'm 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 sitting on four times the value of my home what I paid for it. That's what it, you know we're being told. And so we're just talking about the appreciation of the value of the home, not not like rental income that that larger organizations are able to receive by owning lots of property that they're renting out that they're cash flowing as well. Right. So you know we're talking about nine percent annual return, and we're talking about one and a half percent return on salary and wages increase. And the large part, large thing to do with that is the increase of the available workforce compared to, you know, the profits that these companies are making. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not against companies being profitable. Obviously, that's their goal. Right. Yeah. We just I made mean, it easier for them. We have to produce goods, <laughs> you know, but we've made it better for these big conglomerations to be profiting off of the poor. While we're saying we want the poor to have more it's like your actions are not lining up with what you're actually doing and i i think it's really interesting how you're talking about how as a financial planner how it's violating things but they're told us it's okay because they're printing more money and 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 so you know not not that we we shouldn't give the right to work to anybody who wants it but i'm saying that maybe uh, you know for parents and for for people that want to have children the person that has more nurturing um, mentality. And that and might be tendencies. the man. Totally fine. Be, yeah. yeah. They, they should probably be the ones that bring up the children, raise them during the day while the other one's working and well, here's the thing. To provide for the family. I am, I'm like a hybrid of both. I have chosen mm-hmm. my career and my career options around what has let me focus on being a wife and a mother to the best of my ability. And to provide a home has been the most beautiful, sacred joy of my life. And if you took away all the applause, all the accolades of my professional life, I will have had a very rich life raising 
my two living children and being a wife to Nathan Green. I do not find it demeaning to make dinner for my family, to do laundry for my family, to do all of that with love. And I don't think they have found it demeaning. I think they feel love that I, with all of my talents and abilities, have them as my focus. And at the end of the day, we all need to eat. We all need to be loved. We all need to be cared for. And that is what the unit of the family has historically provided. And no, we don't want women marginalized, but just because I can doesn't mean I don't want to be there for the people I love. And this attack Mm -hmm. on masculinity and femininity, why can't it just be letting people choose what they want to do instead of telling our young girls that being a wife and mother is detrimental to their long-term happiness? When I just read this, and I think I just mentioned this on other podcasts, so I apologize to the listeners, but that they actually did a survey of who had the best sex life. And you know what the findings were? We've got single women, We've got people in committed relationships that are living together. We've got people in different kinds of orientation relationships and married women. You know who reported the best sex and the most happiness? I would guess married women because they have a partner who knows what they actually like. And women, uh, you know, keeping it family rated, but we do customize internally, physically to the, the partner that we are with, right? But more than that, Mm -hmm. I am able to go to my spouse and say, hey, I want to try this new business thing. So it's going to cost this much money. So it looks like we can't pay us for my business for the next month or two. And we'll look at it as business partners. And we can totally decide not to get paid to do this new expansion or whatever. I can only do that because my husband also works. I get to explore whatever it is that I want to do and I could quit tomorrow and still be okay. I could shut down my whole business and be fine because I have a man who is protective and encouraging to me in my life and I to him. So how is that a bad system? You know, I've I've heard, I've heard new age feminists talk about how, Oh, marriage is, is, is stupid. Marriage is like enslavement for a woman. And, And I'm like, look, marriage is the, probably the most fantastic institution that's been created for the benefit of women because men could act like bears, right? Like, you know, if you talk about nature, bears, they'll like male bears will eat their own kitten, their (laughs) own kin, their babies and offspring. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they, you know, get their, get their female pregnant. They're so pregnant and they're gone. Right. They're out of the picture. And that's the tendency of, of, of the kind of how men are built how we want to act or at least the natural right. man. Right. Right. And right. so um, marriage is essentially legally protecting women yep. to where there's somebody that's going to be financially and, and, and legally bound to help out provide. And he's essentially signing up to be there to assist you with any upbringing of children. And if not, he's bound, you know, at least in our country in the state that we live in, found legally financially right to, to yeah in new hampshire if you put your that. husband through like school like i did you actually get 60 percent of if a divorce yeah. went down so i mean this is a protection for women and children and i think it's a great it's i it's, i've benefited greatly and there are really mean women out there and there are really mean men but eroding yeah, an institution true. that has worked for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years because of some people who are jerks doesn't feel like a really good idea and it goes back to what you're saying of 
figure out your own relationships. And if that's so yeah. good, you're so happy, then you're not going to be worried about what I'm choosing to do. I choose to be and, very- And to be completely honest, going, going to what you were saying, intimacy, when you have a partner that you know what they like and they know what you like, it, it's significantly more comfortable. Uh, it, it's, it's something that comes more natural and, and communication is something that will, will be a lot easier as opposed to if you're promiscuous and you're with people, well, a different person. Constantly. You know, maybe there's a sense of adventure in that, but some people want that. But the sure. bottom line is I like that Mr. Green knows what I need before I do. And I think he likes that. I know what he needs both in the bedroom and out of the bedroom before he does. And that we are, it's a simple, this is what I need. And because I love you, I'm going to go out of my way. I'm going to bend over backwards to make your day better. And he's doing the same thing for me. And I hope everyone could have what you have and what I have. I hope we all could have that. But if you don't want it, it's fine. But don't attack what I have. Yeah, and 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 gratefully so. Your children have been able to see how uh, how teamwork works since they were kids yeah. because they saw that relationship with you and your husband being a team, not keeping score. You don't care about who does the dishes and who you know vacuums the floors. You care that you're working together to try to make the house run. And that's really the way I want my children to be raised so that, you know, if they do decide to, you know, participate in sports or they're in corporate America or, or they're, you know, working in nonprofit organizations, they don't care about who gets the credit for what things. They don't right. care about how many points they score in a game. They care about the goal of a team getting accomplished. And, yep. and really, I, my fear is the erosion of the family um, and, and how that could really affect our society in the sense a, that it would really remove our ability to work together. That is a great point about thinking about how it's, it's about teamwork and working together, you know? So Jordan, we have, we have obviously had too much fun talking. You are a good friend. And I want to thank you that when I did show up to BNI, that it did feel like I've known you forever because, um, even the outgoing girl wants the person who takes an effort to make sure they feel included. And you definitely did that for me in BNI. And, um, you know, the whole point of networking groups is that we not only see how we can help each other professionally, but, you know, becoming um, respected peers. And um, I definitely feel that way for you, Jordan. So um, you, you are fun. Thank you, Lita. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Jordan. And Thank you so much for being on this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green. The Share Your Hotness podcast is produced by Van Garrett Media. Lita Green is the host and creator of the podcast. Chris Van Garrett is the editor, producer, and music director. Shayla Dawn is our research coordinator. Join us next week for another episode of the Share Your Hotness podcast. Thanks for listening. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.